this episode of The Greater Game brought to you by Phoenix Supplements. I like to start my day off with a little refuel with the peanut butter cup whey protein blend. There is literally no better flavor in this world than peanut butter cup, in my opinion. And it is delicious and filling. It takes me all the way up through lunch. And then after a healthy lunch, I hit the gym. And after the gym, I like to finish with a little recover. My favorite flavor of the BCA Blend Recover is Grape Limeade. It is absolutely delicious. Make sure you go and check out Phoenix Supplements at fnxfit.com. Use code NUBMAN15, all caps, for 15% off your next order. I'm Sam Cooner, and this is The Greater Game, where I talk with professional athletes about their walk with faith and how it impacted their lives both on and off the field. Today's guest brings forth the story of redemption and righteousness. He has gone from hitting home runs for the fans to swinging for the fences for God. He's an eight-time All-Star, a four-time World Series champ, two-time Silver Slugger, 17-year MLB vet, a shepherd of the people, and an evangelist of the Lord. It is my honor to welcome my guest, Mr. Daryl Strawberry. All right. Well, thanks for having me, Sam. I appreciate you taking out some of your wonderful time and <laughs> reaching out to me so we can get together and just really hang out. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, I, I always love chatting with uh, athletes, especially, you know, because I grew up with nothing but a love for sports and for God. So, you know, those two things always coincide more than people uh, today realize. No question about it. I mean, I think more athletes are turning to God and being more open about their faith and, you know, not sweeping it under the rug and hiding it from people. Because I think this is a time in the society we, we live in, we need to talk about God. We need to put him on, uh, on, on top of everything that we're doing, everything that we're accomplishing. Um, and I think it's going to help so many of the younger generations to understand it's important. It's going to be very important in your life somewhere and sometime to come to that place to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. No question about it. And I, I think we, you know, today we have so many outlets that we're able to use to, you know, make it, make it speak, I would say, you know, speak more than anything, because that's the most important thing is, is speaking life and speaking truth. And we need to get away from this society and we need to speak about the good news. Absolutely. You know, uh, in sports, you know, you have your team captains, right? You have the, the guys who are supposed to be the leaders of the team. Wouldn't you say that us as Christians are the team captains of God's team? No question. I, I think we are. We, we, we just need to step up. We need to not be shy about it. We need to not worry about, you know, what people are going to think in the clubhouse uh, or the locker room. Uh, we need to be who we are and who we say we are. We need to be different. We need to be an example. And we need to live uh, in a different way than most. It, it doesn't mean you condemn anybody. It doesn't mean you talk uh, bad about anybody just because you're living a different way. We need to let other athletes see the light of why we live this way. Because it, it will bring attraction to them if you continue to live that way and be consistent with it. So, yes, you, you, you definitely have to be uh, a captain for the Lord. You know, we're, we're, we're Christ center you know more than anything i think that captain stands better than any other captain you know a captain for a team but a, a captain for the kingdom is, is so much 
uh, more incredible and can have so much a greater impact for everlasting, not just for a short term. Absolutely. Well, Daryl, let's dive into your life. Tell us, what was it like to grow up Daryl Strawberries in the, in the 60s and 70s in Los Angeles, California? Because I'm sure Los Angeles wasn't as bustling as it is now, is it? Or was it? Well, it's pretty much the same. I mean, I think it's just more people there. Um, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles, California, went to a school called Crenshaw High. Um, I came from a, a, a very dysfunctional family. Um, not my mom. She raised five of us by herself. But my father was very dysfunctional. He was a raging alcoholic. And he used to beat me and my brother, uh, Ronnie, and, and basically told us we would never really amount to anything. And, and we just kind of believed it growing up as a kid. You know, the scars were already there. So he came home for the last time and pulled out a shotgun uh, on one of his drunken nights and said he was going to kill the whole family. And me and my brothers, me, Ron, and Mike went into action. And we came very close. We came this close to killing him. Had it not been for my mother, there would have been a tragedy in our life because my brother Ronnie grabbed the butcher knife and I grabbed the frying pan. And my brother Mike, was he was chasing him around the corner and then I picked up a bat. And it, it was just almost a, a moment, you know, left in that time. And had it not been for my mother making us get out of the house and go down to the, uh, go down to the, the street to the neighbor's house, I think we would have probably killed him that night because we, we, we had had it. We were young. I was 13, Ron was 14, mm-hmm. Mike was about 15, you know, and it was just a moment there, you know, where life could have been totally different. And I always tell people, Sam, um, my pain led me to my greatness and my greatness led me to my destructive behavior because it was so real because I think a lot of times people don't understand that brokenness is real. It's a real thing. Lawlessness brings about brokenness and it brings a broken of generational kids that come along, you know, because of the dysfunction in in the home. And when you don't have two parents in the home, it makes it very difficult and very challenging for, for kids to figure out who they are. Oh man, that that's incredible. That is incredible. Now you mentioned Crenshaw. Now, as you may know, the media and movies and films, you know, have never really shined a very good light on Crenshaw and they've, and they've shown it as a place that offered so many distractions that could really derail someone who has the aspirations to be uh, a professional athlete. Did you ever have those kind of distractions around you when, and when you were growing up or was it kind of a different place than what the films portray? Well, it was kind of a different place what the films portrayed, you know, yeah, there were a lot of, you know, trouble trouble kids in those areas mm-hmm. uh, but it's just a matter of did you fall into the trouble kids or did you go to school right. I was one of those went to school and I was playing sports so I didn't really have time for the streets and the crime mm-hmm. uh, of course there were always gang um, activities you know uh, in those areas the bloods and the crips fighting against each other and shooting each other um, experienced a lot of that seeing a lot of that uh, during my year of high school and, and seeing fights and, and just seeing gangs going at each other and just seeing the killing. And then seeing the killing going, starting to go into neighborhoods where innocent people were getting killed. And I was walking home from school every day and from practice, baseball practice and basketball practice. But I had to be extremely careful. I, I had to be extremely careful about people riding up on me and asking me what, what set you from or anything like that. Uh, I had to be extremely careful about everything that I was doing when I was walking home. And I was very mindful of that because I know I needed to be because there was a lot of it was a lot of things and activities that were going on 
where they wasn't where they wasn't fighting anymore. Mm-hmm. They were killing. And then later on, after I left there, you know, it, the killing really started. It was bad, and it, it turned into a nightmare. It turned into just blood, blood everywhere from each side, and young lives being lost and everything. So it was a horrible time, you know, to uh, be able to watch that, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. activity going on in, in your own neighborhood growing up. I, I, I can't even imagine, you know, I'm, I'm here from a small Midwest uh, town, you know, small three stoplight town, you know, where everybody loves everybody, everybody knows everybody, you know, everybody knows each other's name, you honk, you wave. Uh, yeah. Some people wave differently than others, you know, but everybody acknowledges everybody. I mean, you can't walk out the door and not get honked at. And, you know, that's, that's something that I feel like, you know, I, I personally have been blessed with because of that relationship and community that's um, been involved with me. I I couldn't even imagine um, having, you know, to almost have a fear walking home. Did you, was there, was there a fear there? Did you just, did you have a faith in God at that time? Were you like, God's got me or, or where were you? I was young. I there was a lot of fear, you know, because I was playing basketball and, and and baseball at the high school. And, you know, I was one of those, you know, innocent people, you know, just walking home from practice with school books in my hands. And they, when they started killing, they started killing everybody in those neighborhoods because, you know, they were killing people over in other neighborhoods. And the Crips were, the, the, the Crips were on our side in the 60s or on the Crenshaw side, the Bloods were on the other side across Western Avenue. And it, it was just a lot, of, a lot of fear, you know, because the killing got real. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't any joke anymore. It wasn't about you know guys fighting in the streets or anything like that it was about guys riding up on people and just shooting people and so it was it was a time to be able to be extremely careful and deep fear um i i remember once i got to a certain block you know getting close to home i started jogging and making sure i get home every night after practice because practice was over at night and, and i had to run i had to make sure that i was safe and man i just i thank god for it i mean god had to look over me because i'm here today and get through that because there could, there were some times that some people rode up on me and I shipped over to another uh, neighbor uh, uh, porch or something like that and wouldn't walk the streets because I was a little bit afraid of the fact that they may, sh- may shoot at me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. That's crazy. Um, when did this love for baseball take place? Like, did it happen from birth? Like, did you just always have it or, or like what, what led you to fall in love with baseball? You know, as a, as a former college baseball player, I can remember the day, the time, the smell, everything when I first fell in love with the game. So I got to know, when did you fall in love? Well, it, it was Little League, you know, once I, once I went to Little League and started playing at the park called, the park called Rancho Park. Um, and I started playing little league there, and then the competition was just so good, and it was so many good good players. And you know, I I, wa- I wasn't just the only good player, and then that's what made it so good. That's when you fall in love with it because now you're looking at the team down on the other diamond plan, and when they win, they circle the base. You know, because it was a big circle. You circle the base, you run the base, you won. And when we win, we circle the base. So we were winning a lot. We were called the Padres, and they were called the Dodgers, and they were winning a lot. And eventually we were going to have to go head to head. So, you know, you, that's when I really fell in love with it because it was so good and it was so innocent. It was just raw talent and you're playing, you're playing against some pretty good guys and they think they're good and they're going up against us and, and, and they finally ran, against, ran up against us and we beat them. You know, I remember hitting the ball. I remember hitting the ball to the next diamond off one of their pictures, you know, who hung me a curveball. And, <laughs> and I remember <laughs> I, that's when baseball really 
became baseball to me and I started understanding the importance of working hard and learning the fundamentals. And I started realizing that the important thing was, was to learn, uh, learn the game more. And I started following the Dodgers because I was born and raised in LA and the Dodgers had the teams of the Garveys, the Ron Says, uh, David Lowe's, Dusty Baker, and all those guys. And I saw those guys playing and, and, and I saw them playing the, the Cincinnati Reds a lot because the Cincinnati Reds were in a division. And then I saw this one guy playing for the Cincinnati Reds and he wasn't the best player on the team, but he was the most exciting player. His name was Pete Rose. Oh. I saw him play and I saw his uniform and I saw his uniform dirty every night. So that really excited me how great football <laughs> was because here there's a guy named Pete Rose that didn't have the talent of Johnny Bench, George Foster and all these other guys, but his uniform used to be dirty. And I said, now that's what a baseball player looks like. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I'll tell you, we, we kind of reflect that with, with our camps. I always tell my nobility uh, moms said, be ready to do some laundry. Cause if your kids aren't getting dirty, we're not doing our job on the baseball field. Cause if you're not putting your body on the line for a ground ball and to keep it in front of you or, or uh, diving for that fly ball that you know, you can get to, you know, you're not doing your job. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Man, so then you, you know, you go on, you go from Little League, I'm, I'm guessing you go into junior high and then into high school. Yeah. And then in high school, you become one of not only the greatest ball players in L.A. or Crenshaw, you become one of the greatest in the United States. What, like, what led to that growth in, in your game? Like, was it – just the after hours that you were putting in or, or what, like what led to you hitting that stride? Well, that's a good question because I, uh, I go from little league uh, to middle, middle school after that, you know, junior high school. And mm -hmm. I find myself troubled. You know, I find myself really troubled uh, because that's when the time when my father was, you know, really leaving the house. And now all of a sudden I started, you know, really acting out and, you know, ditching school and not going, not showing up. And I started, you know, smoking a lot of marijuana and drinking a lot. So I really became a different person, you know, after he was out of the house. I mean, it was just like, mm -hmm. I went, wow. You know, it's just like no one will ever control me again. So, you know, baseball was like still a part of me, but right. it wasn't, it wasn't a, the major part. I mean, I, I, I fell into this, you know, behavior and mm -hmm. troubled and I got kicked out of like four different junior high schools because I was always in trouble. I got in act I got into gangs and I got into fighting and you know and I got into like I said drugs and then and um they decided, you know, they called my mother one day and said, We just don't want him to come back to school, but we're gonna send him on up to high school. So I go up to Crenshaw and you know that's my first year, my tenth grade year, and I'm still troubled on the inside and I start seeing sports at the high school. So I decided to play baseball my first year. I made the varsity team first year because my brother Michael was on the team. He was a senior. And, mm -hmm. the, and the coach, you know, he was telling the coach, my little brother, he could play. And he saw me play and he saw I was really talented. So I was a starting right fielder in my 10th grade year. And I was jogging off the field one day and then I walked. I didn't get all the way off the field and I walked the rest of the way. And the coach came up to me and thumped me in the head and said, don't you ever, ever, walk off this field again like that. You you run all the way off this field. And I, I took the uniform off, threw it in the space, and quit. You know, so that was my first year in high school. And so I missed a whole year. Wow. A whole year in high school playing. So I had these 
I had these struggles inside, wow. about, mm -hmm. you know, of who am I, what am I, just because I have talent doesn't mean you're well. I think a lot of times people yeah. look at people that are talented and they think they have it all together. And I, I really didn't have it all together because I was hurting inside. I was broken, you know, from mm -hmm. the scars that my father left me with. So then I go back in my junior year. What happens, how did I get to the place in baseball is I started playing basketball. and mm -hmm for my high school. And then when I got to the place of playing basketball, my high school basketball coaches were all about discipline. They taught you discipline. Because I remember acting out in class or something, getting in trouble with a teacher and the teacher would report it to the basketball coach. So the basketball coach would make me run. He, he knows you're coming to practice. Right. So you know, practice, he's gonna make you run suicides all day. Oh. So there, there's some real discipline there. <laughs> that was going on in, in, in those times. And, and that really helped me. The discipline I got from my basketball coaches, Willie West and Joe Weekly, uh, really matured me and made me really understand the importance of working hard and, and doing the right things. And then I fell into, uh, you know, the baseball season and we played well. And then our, our junior year, my junior year in high school, we, put, we went to the city championship and we lost to um, Granada Hills. In the city championship at Dodger Stadium, we went all the way, and they went, they came all the way, and that was John Elway and them. They beat us in the city oh, championship, in 1979 at Dodger Stadium. So, from there, I started to develop and realize that baseball was a great passion for me, and and I started working at it, and and my coach brought a lot of discipline, and, and I became good at it. And then I went to my senior year, and there was I I became the number one pick in the draft uh, that year, 1980. And 18 years old and you become the number one major league pick in the draft. Now, where's your head at? Like, is it like this, right, <laughs> right when this happened? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I'm, I, I just couldn't – I couldn't imagine, you know, you know, graduating high school and you're immediately you, – you're paid. You know, you're, you're paid and you're playing the game you love for money, and you're – not only are you playing the game you love for money – you get drafted by the New York Mets. And we all know if there's one state that is famous for nightlife, it's New York. <laughs> they, yeah, New York is famous for a lot of things, you know, and, and that's the thing about it, being drafted number one. Uh, I was excited. I had no idea what, where New York was when they say you've been drafted by the New York Mets. I said, where the heck is New York? I've been in California all my life. I've never, <laughs> I've never been out of there unless uh, only one time went to Seattle. We had a tournament up, up there to play, but I uh, never knew anything about New York, and I was real excited. And then I went into the minor leagues, and, and it was tough. It was, it was very, really challenging. Uh, I faced some really difficult times, you know, in the minor leagues. Uh, from the beginning, I came close to quitting. A lot of people didn't know that. I, I, when I was in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia, um, you know, there was – uh, I was African-American. There was a lot of racial tension, you know, where people were calling me out of my names and stuff up in the – stands and you know my my coach was used to tell me when I come back don't look up there because he knew if I look up there I'll probably run up there and hit somebody with a bat but mm -hmm. you know he kept me he was really he was really good for me and uh, Gene Dusan I remember he was really good for me my coach and um, he kept me together and I struggled that year and I just really didn't know if I really wanted to play I, I, was, I was still smoking weed every day and I, I didn't know if I want to play uh, play baseball and I came close to quitting and they asked me to give it another year, and I gave it another year and went to the Texas League. And, see, when I went to the Texas League that year, 1982, that's when 
I arrived, I became a, a, a ball player then. I, I mean, I, I won the Texas League MVP. I hit like 34 home runs and stole over 36 bases or something like that. And, and, and I played well and I felt, my, I felt like right there, I developed to be a baseball player. And this is what I'm saying, Sam. It made me a baseball player. See, and what most people don't understand, it didn't make me a man. It made me a baseball player. And the, the, the character of a man wasn't there yet, wasn't developed. Uh, it was just a baseball player putting on a uniform. And then I go to AAA the next year, 1983. I spent one month there in AAA. And then I arrived to the big leagues in 1983 after spending one month in, in AAA. That's, that's incredible. And you're coming to New York out of the minor leagues. You're, co you're coming to New York, the place where some could argue was coming to the state of legends. You know, you got Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, Lou Gehrig, Yogi Berra, Jackie Robinson, and Reggie Jackson had all made names in the state of New York. What's that pressure like? You know, because a lot of people at that time were saying, this is the next one. Yeah, I mean, it was a tremendous amount of pressure because I was labeled coming out of high school was the black Ted Williams and didn't realize who Ted Williams was until I looked him up and saw how great he was. Because like I said, I was a Dodger fan, Pete mm -hmm. Rose fan. Dave Parker, those guys were I was fan, fans of, you know, and I, I didn't see uh, Ted Williams. So I was compared to that, and they wanted to see, well, let's see how great he really is going to be. You know, he's and I came up to the big leagues at 21, and I struggled. I struggled when I came up that month later after missing the first month of the season because uh, I was in AAA, and then they bought me up. And there was. Uh, there I was to be the next one, whatever you can – Make yourself out of you want to take a bite out of the apple. <laughs> I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't suggest people try to take a bite out of the apple. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult to do that. I, I would tell them take a slow process and, and take your time taking a bite. Um, okay. Don't try to bite the whole apple. And you know, mm -hmm. I, and I think that's what I did as a young player because of the hype and expectations, and they would never let it go. And but I came up and I struggled. The, the first first month or so and my hitting coach was Jim Fry who just passed away God bless his soul um, he waited for me one day he told me to be at the ballpark at two and I didn't show up to like three and he just pulled me to the side and looked me in the eye and says I'm never gonna wait for you again and he got up in my face and he says if you want to be great you need to be at this ballpark early every day and from that day on I showed up early and started working with him and he just started telling me uh, the most important things about this game. Mentally, you have to be tough. It's not the physical part. You're, mm -hmm. you're, you're physically better than most players that's going to be here. He said, but mentally, and they have the advantage over you because of experience. And mentally, they're tougher than you right now. But he says, if I can show you this, you'll be able to develop and you'll be able to ride into this and you'll be able to become a great baseball player one day. So I, I credit him, Jim Fry, for, you know, just really being there for me and going there every day. And I go on to win the National League Rookie of the Year because of him pushing me mm -hmm. and showing me how to be a player. And then that just carried from there, you know, the development after that just started to carry from there. So right. I, I'm, I'm grateful for the, the fact that he, he turned me around. And then he goes over to Chicago and he turns Sandberg around too. So he says, yeah. Rhino said the same thing, you know. If it wasn't for Jim Fry, I wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, you know, and I, I, I credit Jim Fry for that, too. If it wasn't for him, my career would have never been like it was because he gave me the edge of being great, and he showed me how to do it at the major league level.
Right. Man, you know, this is a great comparison. It's something I heard on a podcast at one point in time, you know, that baseball is like a Christian faith in that you can fail and fail and fail and fail. And when you succeed, it's going to outweigh your failures. And it's the same with your, you know, when you're with your faith, we can fail and fail. But as soon as we accept God into our life, the ultimate success it outweighs everything we've ever done. Would, would you say that's fairly no, true? No question about it. I mean, you know, baseball is the same way. Like you said, you can fail, fail, and then all of a sudden, boom, there it is. <laughs> now you're at the top, you know, and that's what it was for me. You know, uh, I was young. I was successful at the beginning, but I had some struggles in between. Then, boom, I became all of a sudden this player, this elite player, you know, all-star games every year, uh, top vote getter in the all-star game, um, 1991. I remember all these and, and just out of nowhere and then failure, then the failure of life comes and hits you and you go through the struggles and the storms of life. You know, there it is. I go through, you know, the addiction part and there it is. I, I end up, you know, using crack cocaine in my life and then shooting dope and end up in a Florida state prison because of addiction, not because I was a bad person, it's because I had a, a serious problem. Right. And up with a T17169 and there you go. You fall at the bottom. Uh, of life, you know, because it just falls apart. And it can happen to any one of us at any time, you know, life could fall apart. Right. Then, then you look up and there's nothing there because you've had everything from a material standpoint, but you never had anything from a freedom standpoint. Right. See, and, and, and what most people don't understand, becoming a Christian, it doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight. You know, that's the beginning. That's the okay. first step, you know, that's just the first step by like getting to the big leagues, you know, it's exactly. the first step and now you have to grow. And, and, and that's what it was for me to taking the first step as a Christian and, and getting saved in 91, but not getting discipled and Mr. Discipleship. Guess what? I go back to, to the familiar because the Bible is clear that, you know, the Bible make it clear how my people perish because of lack of knowledge, no knowledge and understanding of God's word. So it was a process there. And I had to go through that whole process, Sam, and sit for years, you know, right. seven years of growing and developing into the man that God wanted me to become. And it's yeah. incredible when you take the time out to sit and be patient and not be in a rush to be mm -hmm. something that you want to be, but to wait, wait on God. You know, it's, you know, like it says, those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. You renew your strength when you wait and he grows you and he develops you. And he develops you into the man that he's called you to be. And that's over a period of time. I think so many of us want to be on a pedestal and want to be named this and named that. And God's not concerned about nobody's name. He got the greatest name, his son, Jesus. That's the greatest one that we all should be able to look at. And all, all we have to do is learn to walk with, walk with the principles and understand the way. And your development becomes great because God has developed you, not a man. And I feel like, you know, with athletes and people in general, you know, too often we try to get ahead of God's timing. You know, we, we try to, we think that God's telling us now, 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 when really he's like, no, hold on, hold on, you know, and we, and we tend to get ahead of ourselves. And, you know, my mom always gave me this philosophy growing up, which she says, hello, by the way, she's a super fan. Uh, so I have to get that in there before I forget. Um, but, uh, she had this philosophy of God steers moving ships. So no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how much the failures feel or how it feels like you're, you know, you're fighting against the waves, you have to keep 
moving because eventually God's going to put some wind in your sails and you're going to sail off, you know, and, and that's just kind of like the philosophy that I took as a Christian, you know, because there's so many times, you know, especially when you first decide to accept God into your life, it feels like your life's falling apart because, you know, everything starts to drop off. The people that you never thought would leave you leave. The, the activities that maybe you partook in before all of a sudden leave a foul taste in your mouth. You know, there's so much that God just starts to take away. And it's just, to me, it's in, you have to keep moving forward because as soon as it's his timing, sky's the limit. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And tell your mama said hello too, but that's really good there. You're right about that. You know, and it, it, it's, it's about waiting because God has to make you wait to develop you. And Absolutely. so many of us think we're ready to go out there and we're ready to go tell everybody about who he is. And we don't really know who he is ourselves yet. So he has to wait till you get developed inside and he equips you. And when you allow him to equip, equip you and you grow and you walk, now you know how to talk. Now you know how to live. Because if, you, if you're not in that place where you're de developed, you're going to go back out there and you're going to fall again. Right. And you've seen so many Christians go through that. And I, I was one too that was saved, radically saved, and didn't have uh, the discipleship and wasn't equipped with the word of God. And basically what I ended up doing was going back. And when you go back, it's really horrible when you go back because it's hard to get back because now the enemy's got a really good hold of you. He knows that God has saved you, but he's trying to keep you in this dark place, believing, making you believe that God is not who he say he is. And he does that all the time to so many people and they never make it back. So I'm just, I sit here as one that's just very fortunate to know, to understand and, and know that I made it back. And I just didn't make it back halfway. I made it back all the way. I came in where I'm no longer a hypocrite and no longer straddling the fence. I didn't want to be that anymore. I wanted to be God's whatever. It didn't have to be what I am today, I mean, evangelist, travel and preach. I could never preach. I could never qualify myself. I'm never, not, not qualified. And God says, no one is qualified. I qualify the call. If people, if we can just trust the process that he's going to take us through, it's going to be very painful. It's going to be very lonely, like you said, because I can tell you right now, Sam, folks are going to leave you. You can believe that. Those ones you thought were close friends, when you stop saying, oh, I don't drink no more, I don't go to places like this no more and the first thing they're going to say to you what's wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i mean and you know our world leads people to believe uh, you know i mean that that's that is wrong you know that that's the way our, our world has become that um that common denominator of you have to go out and party you have to go out and have a good time if you don't you're not normal and then all of a sudden a shadow is cast on you but, you know, a lot of people don't see this, but Christians, they do have a shadow cast upon them. But that's why we're supposed to be that light, that torch, carrying that torch forward of God's light and showing people his love. You know, um, the one of the greatest things, you know, lessons I've taken from my parents, you know, I'm very blessed that I grew up in a in a faith filled house, even though I had my own struggles with God, which led to actually being baptized twice, was the fact that, you know, we can always emulate God in everything we do and by doing so is loving every single person race religion belief whatever it is 
We just love them because that's how Jesus was. He loved everybody. Yeah, I mean, see, that's the whole thing about it, Sam. It's not our place to condemn people and say, you're wrong and he's wrong. No, we're all wrong. Exactly. The Bible didn't say, people don't understand, the Bible is clearly didn't say that some of you will fall short. It says you all will fall short. Not some, every last person that enters into here because of Adam and Eve will fall short. And when you can understand that, you, you don't have to look at anyone else because you can look at yourself and you're no, just no better, you're no, not any better than you think they, they are. You know, you think you're better than they are and stuff like that. And a lot of people think that because of the standard and the status of the worldly, the worldly perception and what worldly, uh, what the world gives to people, you know, the worldly perception makes everybody believe that, well, these people are better because they live in Hollywood and, and they live fancy lives. And, and these guys are better because they're great athletes and they're millionaires and they could they play sports. No, they, at the end of the day, if they don't belong to God, they're going to have to answer at the end of the day. I don't care how much you achieve here. It is meaningless. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it is powerful about King Solomon. King Solomon had everything, everything a man can actually want. And he said at the end of the day is meaningless under the sun without God. If some people need to hear this, that listen, go to that book and read it. He is the richest, the richest of Israel, Jerusalem. Nobody else will be richer than what he was. And I think people don't pay attention. He's telling you, at the end of the day, it means nothing without God. He says, fear God and love God and walk with God. Man, that is that is so true and so so powerful, you know. Uh, it. Let me ask you this. Is it crazy now looking back at your life and noticing all of the different layers or all the different places where God was still, like God was in your life and he was just basically like this, come on, Daryl. I'm right here. Have you, have you have you looked back at your life and seen that? You know, that's one thing I was able to do whenever I got baptized the second time was really look back at every moment in my life, and you could clearly see God was there. Yeah, no question about it. You know, I mean, and when you look when you look over your life, when all of us look over our life, and we look over what we all had to go through, uh, the different challenges. Everybody challenges different. You know, my my challenges were public. So they were totally different. Right. So I had to deal with so many people looking at me as I was falling down and falling off the cliff and pointing at me mm -hmm. and they were laughing and God wasn't, God wasn't laughing. You know, mm -hmm. God wasn't smiling. God was very sad. He was saddened inside because um, he knew in his heart that I was one of his kids mm -hmm. and that he just knew that he was going to have to save me. He obviously he already knew he was going to save me and change me right. one day completely forever. So, mm -hmm. I didn't know, but I just had to keep pursuing and keep believing, you know, that one day my life would be different. So when I look back over it and I said, and see all the situations, there's tons of situations. There's, there's many times I should have been dead. I've had cancer twice. I lost my left kidney in my second surgery. I should have been dead from that. Drug addiction. I should have OD'd. I don't know how many times. And God spared me through that whole process. I should have been locked up for longer than the time that I did spend. But God spared me from that. So when I look back over my life, I, 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 I clearly get to a place now where I try to minister to people and tell them, you don't understand grace. Right. <laughs> you don't right. understand grace. Because when you understand grace, 
you'll understand it's something I didn't deserve, but he gave it to me anyway. That's, I love that. I love that, man. I'm going to have to steal that one. I'm going to have to take that one. I love that one. Um, okay, so let's, let's rewind back to 1986, okay? You're with the New York Mets, and was it the, was it the first one? Was that the first one they ever won? No, that's the second one. Second one, second one. But you had, you know, from the time you were there, everybody had this pressure on you that you were going to be the one to lead that team to a World Series. You know, there's articles out there all over the place. You know, Daryl Strawberry is going to lead them. So when you finally make it there, what's what's going through your mind? Well, I, I just wanted to be a part and wanted to fit in mm-hmm. with, uh, with, with baseball, with the major league team and stuff like that. I had a chance to go through spring training with them. So a lot of guys got a chance to see me play in some of the A games and they got a chance to see me hit some big home runs. And they was just like in awe, you know, this kid, this kid hitting home runs in major league camp like this is like it's nothing. And he's not even phased about it. And, and they just, they just thought it was just, you know, incredible. And I just, I just thought, you know, getting there, um, it was going to be very challenging because of, you know, the expectations and, you know, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't get, we didn't have a good team. We were in last place when I got there in '83. So '84 we got better. '85 we became so much better, and then '86 we got into spring training. And uh, Davey just had one the beginning of camp meeting. He just said, "We're gonna win it all," and we just kind of looked around and we just thought to ourselves, "We're gonna win it all." You know, we're gonna win the whole thing. You know, regardless of what it may, whatever we have to go through, but we we were so good. And we went into that season and we just dominated that season. And we had a tough playoff season, uh, a tough playoff series against um, the Astros, which, which was great for us because it, it, we were tough that year, but we had to fight through. Nothing was easy. So it, just, it wasn't like we just walked through. You know, we had to play some good baseball against some good pitching and good teams. And then we got into this World Series with the Red Sox and they won the first two. And we went to Boston and we were down 0-2. And, we could have, we could have folded, but we didn't. You know, we 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 became who we were. The the that that team of the '88. You know, just a bunch of guys who who's going to grind it out. And and we came and we had a good series there. Carter hit some big home runs for us and just got us going and got us going in the right direction. And we never looked back. We went back to home and we were behind. We should have lost Game Six, but we were behind. We never gave up. Two outs, base hits, base hits. You know, team rally, we come back, ball between Buckner and Lake, we score, you know, we win that ball game. <laughs> and then we come back game seven, and we're down game seven, and we come back and we win that ball game. So, you know, it was just a – it was a team uh, of greatness regardless of, you know, how we got how we got there. But we had to fight our way through because nobody wouldn't let us get through because they knew we were good. But at the same time, we, you know, we just never quit. We never gave up. And that's what baseball is really all about, is not quitting. Now, one, one thing that has become kind of a common denominator with, uh, with professional athletes who at one time didn't have the relationship with Christ but found it later was that they talk about, you know, the, pillar, you know, the pillars of their success in sport, and they say there was an emptiness. You know, even though it was this great accomplishment that they felt this emptiness. Did you feel an emptiness even though you were winning World Series? Well, I, of course, everybody, everybody – has an emptiness on the inside. See, and that's what I go back to King Solomon. He said, no one can fill that void on the inside of you 
the only person who can fill it is God himself. Mm-hmm. Because we all, we, all of us are going to have that emptiness on the inside. I don't care how much I accumulate from an earthly standpoint. It's, it's never going to satisfy I me. Mean, it's just going to satisfy you to look at it and, and, and go home to it. But at the same day, you're, you're still going to wake up and you're still trying to fill the empty void on the inside. And no one can fill that but Jesus himself. Because you know why, Sam? He's already done it. He went to the cross. And I think a lot of people don't understand he paid a serious price for us, you know, mm-hmm. that we would be able to have life and have it more abundantly. And I think a lot of people are not there to understand that, you know, the abundant life is greater than having a bunch of stuff. I think a lot of people in our society today get consumed with having the stuff and they think that's abundant life. But at the end of the day, why is it that no one can stay together, stay married and stay connected? It's not because you don't, you fall out of love. They say they fall out of love in Hollywood and stars and stuff like that. And that everybody, even normal people, you fall out of love. No, you, you, you fall out because you, you, you're not, you're not well on the inside. You still have that empty void on the inside. And then when God comes in and fills you with that empty, fill you with his spirit and you no longer have the empty void on the inside, now is a great joy. You live, you live a different way. You have a different perspective of life. You don't, you don't see things the way everybody else sees things. We see them from a different view because we know that God, we know there's a good day that's coming after all this. After I after I leave here, absence from the body with the Lord, I get to be with the Lord forever. That that's going to be a great day when you know you get out of here and you go be with the Lord forever. You never have to deal with this again here. And I think a lot of people are not prepared for that. Yeah, no, I, you know one of my one of my favorite quotes actually comes from a man I believe you've met before, Aeneas Williams. Have you met Aeneas Williams before? Uh, I believe so. He has this quote that says, live with the end in mind and die empty. Go to the grave empty and don't waste anything. You know, so, so often people lose the, lose the, uh, the thought that eventually every single person in here is going to be put to the ground, put into the ground. Right. And what God wants us to do with our lives is to live this life to serve others and live out our full potential life to bring more people back to the kingdom so that whenever we pass and join him, what goes in the ground is an empty vessel and the soul and the spirit just floats up to God, you know, but too often people want to reserve themselves or they're too worried about what society sees or, or the, the spotlight that's put on them, you know, from sports, especially from athletes, you know, they have the spotlight that's immediately projected on them that a lot of times, you know, causes people to go into reserve. But what God wants us to do is really use that light to shine to others and bring that light and just expand it across, the, across uh, to, our, to our brothers and sisters. You know, when Aeneas said that quote, you know, that really hit home to me, you know, especially with my foundation and everything I do, you know, living a life to serve others is great. But living a life to serve God is amazing right no question about it i mean and you're so you're so right about that sam living a life uh, serving god is amazing there's nothing greater than that than giving back because you're giving back to others and others wonder why why we give back it's because god gave us and we love him and he he teaches us to go back to give back and help those 
who are struggling, who's less fortunate, who doesn't have everything that someone else has, you know, like great athletes have, you know, he, he allows us to be a voice for him when we live according to the biblical principles, not just, oh, I'm a Christian athlete and I'm saying I'm a Christian athlete, but I really don't live. I still, I'm still dipping and dabbing and living in this and that, you know, that's, right. that's what God's talking about. God's talking about when are you going to really make a commitment to cross over and give me your life and live according to the biblical principles. And, you know, not saying that none of us won't fall short. We all fall short, but right. we just don't live. We don't live from a worldly standpoint anymore. I, I'm not consumed with baseball. I'm not cons- I'm not running around to look at a go to a game or something like that. And that's not my everyday life. You know, my life is is to travel and go share the good news, the gospel, and go bring some hope to somebody who's still suffering out there who needs who needs to know that this man that died on the cross for you, he is the Messiah. He's the everlasting hand. He's everything that you need. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we need to be able to share that with people in such a way with boldness. And, and not turn to the left or the right and uh, behind us and worry about what anybody else is thinking because, you know, we're going to be living down here with the foolishness of people that's going to be who they are and they're just not going to change it. They never think this will come to an end. One day, one day, all this will come to an end. One day. And he says it. He says, I'll be back. You know, when he folded, when he folded the blanket, he said, I will be back. You know, I'm, I'm going to return. And, and too often I feel like even Christians, I feel like they lose sight of that. You know, they think, you know, I'm going to be good until I'm 80 or 90 years old or past or whatever. And they, and they, and they lose sight. They're like, you know, I've got my entire life to get better. Yeah. Where as you, if you get better now and get right with him now, you're saved. Right. Well, you know, that's what a lot, yeah, a lot of Christians think that, oh, well, there's plenty of time. I, I, I won't, I won't, I, I like, I like these earthly things. Yeah. Uh, and, and they don't know that one day you can walk, walk out some, you I mean, your heart can stop or anything. You don't wake up. Exactly. It's over. It's done. Where are you going? God's going to question you. What, mm-hmm. what did you do when you had all this, you had time, you had every day to wake up to make a difference in somebody else's life. Why wouldn't you make it a difference? Well, I was too busy, you know, worrying about myself. You know, no, no, no. That's, that's not the answer he wants to hear. You know, because he's because he's giving you enough time. Don't just be someone to go to church and you just go and that's what I do every Sunday. I just go and then I don't really do nothing. I don't really get into action. I, I don't really allow myself to go go feed the homeless or you know get outside of myself mm-hmm. because I'm on I'm in my own little comfort zone and I live I live okay. So I, that's their problem out there. See that that's not who Jesus is. That's not the work he's called us to do. He called us to be the people to go out because God's never going to do anything that he's never done before. He's going to always use people to help people. Absolutely. And, you know, in a time that we're going through right now with COVID-19, you know, with, with this, with this disease and some would call it a plague that has caused people to not be able to go to work, have to stay home with their families. What if they use this time right now to grow close to God? You know, I, I honestly feel like this is what, you know, I don't feel like God caused this, but I feel like God has wanted us to use this time to grow closer to him. Well, that's, that's good, Sam, because, no, God, God has not caused this, but God controls it. 
Exactly. And what they don't understand, he can stop it any time he wants to stop it. Absolutely. He can, it. he can do whatever he wants, man. Obviously, he has let it run his course. Yeah. Maybe he's trying to tell people, wake up. Yeah. yeah. Wake up, people down there. Wake up and 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 build yourself in me and trust and trust in me and trust in my plan instead of this earthly plan. Because see, this earthly plan, anything can come up on this earth here. What are you gonna do? Just like the virus, you know, it, it, it's come up. What are yeah. what are we doing? Everybody's in a panic. Everybody's such afraid. Nobody wants to be next to nobody. Nobody wants to touch anybody because they say, well, this happens, that happens, you know. The only person really know what's happening with the virus is God himself. Yeah. You know, I mean, the doctors, yeah, they're, they're smart and they're correct. And they're doing, they're doing all the things that they're supposed to do. The president's okay. doing everything. The vice president's doing everything he's supposed to do. The health people, the health workers, yeah. uh, and those on the front line, everybody's doing everything they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But in the whole reality of all this, God is the one still in control. Absolutely. And he's the one that has the last say. And most people, the average person won't believe that. They, mm -hmm. But I think, I think during this time right now, he's made people look and see. Yeah. Where, where are you? You know, because there's been a lot of deaths. So mm -hmm. where are you? If, are you right? If your life was over, if your life was ended because of a virus, would you be coming into heaven? Exactly. And I think a lot of people are in fear about that because they don't know. They're not for sure. And I, and I also think, you know, because of the, the age we are at with our society, you know, too many people are looking at all of the negative that is happening from this. And they're not focusing on the positive that God is bringing. He's bringing people back with their families. You know, he's giving them time to grow as families and closer to him. And it just seems like, honestly, it seems like battle lines are being drawn. You know, it yep. seems like this is a spiritual battle and the lines are being drawn. You know, you see, you can see it out there. You know, Christians who are truly saved by grace should be able to see that the battle lines have been drawn. Right. Yeah, yeah. You, you definitely, the Christians, you know, that have been saved by grace. We know that it's real and we know that God is in control of everything and and we know he's trying to make people aware of the importance of your family, of spending quality time. He's trying to make families get back to the dinner table, exactly. turn off the television, <laughs> turn off the cell phones, have dinner together, spend time together, and let's talk about his will instead yeah. of our will. Because what people don't understand is, I don't care how much money you have, God has stopped everybody. He just mm -hmm. stopped one person. He stopped everybody in this, you know, from going on to be successful. We will one day go back to doing what we were doing. And yes, I was traveling and preaching. He stopped me, closed the church. He stopped business, uh, the people in, in business. Um, he stopped, you know, the, the market and I mean, just everything. He put everything mm -hmm. at a, at a just, just stop, you know, for mm -hmm. this period of time. So there's a clear wake up call and, this society it's just a matter of will people wake up and and look up and see that god is god is real and that his plan is real and if we don't if we don't align ourselves up with his plan you're going to find yourself on the outside of his plan exactly exactly you know um 
what, what's that what's the bible verse I'm, I'm trying to think of it you know those who deny me in front of man will be denied by me in front of man is that is that i i could have butchered that a little bit you know i'm trying to trying to remember it but you know that verse speaks, i know what you mean. oh yeah that, that yeah. verse speaks yeah, it speaks highly of us yeah he's talking about uh, those who deny me in front of man you know yeah you know, I'd be the you'd be the first, you'd be denied in front of my father, you know. Right. Absolutely. You know, denied me in front of man, you know. So um and that's that's real, you know, that's that's the real way it is. Exactly. You know, we, we we sit here and uh we um live here and people live here and they deny Christ. They still to to this day deny mm -hmm. him. You know, yeah. but they'll be the first ones calling on him. When something happened, when sickness falls upon them, mm -hmm. oh God, should you help me? Yeah, and God be like, you know, when you come to meeting, and then you think, who are you? I never knew you. you know? Right, <laughs> right. Well, speaking of sickness, that 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 brings a a great transition in here. Let's talk about the cancer, okay? Just the word sends chills down people's spines, right? Just the word cancer, everybody immediately goes to the worst case scenario. Did this? Did the diagnosis when you first received that? Did it? You know? Did it cause you to start immediately reevaluating your life, or or kind of seeing your life flash before your eyes? Kind of feel. Well, of course it does. You know, cancer is real, and, and we all know it's deadly, and it's nothing to play with. Um, no matter what what type of cancer it could be, it, cancer period can kill you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you kind of reflect on you know life starting to flash you know because my mother died at a young age of 55 from terminal breast cancer mm -hmm. and my sister died at the age of 51 from cancer so i i had cancer twice and i i made it through and here it is i said 20 years later you know cancer free with one kidney but you know functioning and, and it's because of god's grace and i understand that more than anything he wanted to keep me here for his purpose and his plan and and so when you look at that, when you have to face that in the eyes, you don't know. Um, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a downtime that comes inside of you that brings about, I would say a lot of people get fear, but an emptiness. Because, you know, when you have cancer, you got to go through a whole process. It's not easy. You know, right. they're going to move some kind of tumor out of you. And how, how, would, how will you be able to function? You know, then that's what you have to think after that because you got to go through the process of dealing with chemo for maybe about six months, and you don't know if the chemo is going to kill it immediately. And then you have to—I had colon cancer, so I had to go through this window. I had a window, a window of five years. I had to be clear for five years, and I wasn't. I had it in '98, and it reoccurred in 2000. That was high percentage that it could come back, and it came back in 2000. They had to remove my left kidney because it was a tumor right under. Uh, the left kidney and the healthy kidney, and that's what cancer is. So you know, I've seen, I, I've seen it with my own eyes, and I had to deal with the death of my mom and my sister. So it's nothing to play with. It's nothing where you know you think, well, I'm just, I, I'm going to get through it. There's not a guarantee. You know, so many have lost their life at young ages and old ages. You know, uh, mm -hmm. because of the cancer. Yeah, man. It, it cancer is, you know, it, it's, it's that whenever you're growing up, it almost seems like that horror story that you never want to live. And then when you actually have someone in your life who deals with it, 
immediately it becomes a reality and it becomes something that is bigger than your own life. You know, it comes, it comes big, something bigger. Um, I actually had, uh, had this opportunity to work with a boy who had lost his arm from um, uh, sarcoma and he had had the cancer and they had removed it before and it grew back and to the point where he had to remove his arm just below the shoulder. And he's a baseball player and he was a shortstop. You know, he was, he, he loved the game of baseball and immediately he now has this arm taken away and he has to relearn how to play. And so he comes to one of our camps and, you know, I start working, I get to working with him. And at first he's putting his glove up on his head and throwing the ball and sliding his hand back in. I'm like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. We can't do that. I'm like, I'm like that is not safe. That is not going to work out. So let, let's adjust. So we got it where he was putting the glove underneath his nub and throwing. And if sometimes the glove would fall off, that's fine, you know, if he's in the outfield. But then we got him where he could pitch, and he would hide his glove under and scoop back in. And to see that light come back in his eyes, you know, to see that – something had been taken away his arm from this monster of cancer and that light was still there where this kid could be inspired and then i come to find out you know the next day whenever after i get him throwing against a bounce back net an industrial bounce back net as hard as he can from 10 feet away and fielding the ball like he had been doing it his entire life and i go to tell his mom how proud and amazed i am by by her son that the cancer's back and it's in his lungs and immediately, you know, I had this camp and there's 189 limb different kids from 43, uh, from uh, I think it was 43 states and, and three countries or something like that, you know, just a massive amount of people around. And I felt like I was this big because this kid was battling something that absolutely terrifies people. And not only was he battling it, he was battling it with grace. And so immediately I felt like it wasn't about this sports camp. It wasn't about baseball. It wasn't about the sports. It was about this kid's battle and about showing him that not only God is with him, but we're all with him as his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that Sunday, you know, we have a, we have a worship service every day and we actually had a guest speaker coming in named John O'Leary. I don't know if you know John or not. He's over in the St. Louis area too. Just an awesome human being. And I go to John and I go, John, yeah, I know you're a motivational speaker, but man, I feel like God is wanting me to say something before you speak. And I know it's going to kill the mood. He's like, man, if God's telling you to do it, go for it. And so I get up there and I ask my camp at that time. And there's probably, I think it's an optional uh, worship service. So I think we probably had over a hundred people. And I brought Will up and I told him about Will's story. And I told him that he has sarcoma. And I said, you know what? I just feel like God wants me to lay hands on Will. Sure. And anybody else who fills the need right now, come up and let's lay hands on him and pray with him because God says when more than one gather in his midst, he's there. And all of a sudden the entire camp felt like kids, adults, everybody, whether they knew him or not come and lay hands on the boy. And he ends up getting in this, uh, this treatment program. He's actually now going to St. Louis. I think it's, you know, he's still struggling here and there, but he start, you know, 
just to have that support and to see so many people drop what you know drop that me attitude and go for god right there was one of the most humbling experiences i've ever experienced amen that's that's incredible because because at the end of the day that's really what it's all about you know at yes, the end of the day at, at the end of our life we live here is being able to have an impact for god himself over somebody else and yes, that kid life will never be the same no matter what he, he will always feel that love that was touched from god that through others because god brings love through others Absolutely. and you know it's just not about you know uh, uh, us you know telling them about you know a, a baseball game or being a baseball player you know, or something like that it's more to it and i think yeah. i think that's what this life is really all about it's about us as people going so much deeper in the moment you know when this kid is struggling and you know that, but everybody else don't know it. But you bring it to light if they do know it. But if you bring bring his situation to light and put him in the center of the place and let God speak to his heart, yeah. that's what brings about the difference of people perspective of God coming inside them for, for that little kid. So, you know, I, I know that spoke to his heart. And I know, I know, like you said, he walked through it with grace because he, he knows and understand that God is with me no matter what happens. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now we talked about, you know, you, we talked about that you started a relationship with Christ. I believe you said 1991. Was there a single moment that led to that, to that cultivation of the relationship with Christ or was it just a combination of everything over time? It was just a combination of everything over time. Um, life is like really, uh, about the times that we go through uh, mm -hmm. and where we at. Uh, you think about where are you with Christ and where should I be? Where can I be? Not where should I be? Because I think where can I be is more more of a saying for most people because we could all be in a better place if we apply ourselves. And I think that's important for people to understand because they're going to be you know be some duck dark times you know that we go through and can i get up from the dark times can i get up from that place where i'm laying down and saying poor me poor me oh poor me pour me another drink you know and that's what a lot of right. people end up doing and keep doing and i would that was me and and i finally got up and says you know i, I need to become a new person i need to, I need to come, come to a place of understanding biblical principles not worldly principles anymore i lived through that uh, that's a dead end. It's meaningless. It means nothing. And once I started applying myself to uh, study the Word of God, then it came to light. The light turned on. The light switch went on. And once that light switch comes on for you, uh, you never have to look back. You, the only reason people look back because they think something's still back there and they go backwards. And, you know, I just didn't want to look back anymore. I wanted to keep going forward. And I started to understand scriptures and because if you don't understand scriptures and don't understand the importance of them, uh, the enemy is always going to dangle something in front of you. Duh, 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 duh. He dangled, how do how, you like this? Don't you, you know, yeah. you want, you want, you want that, you want to be this point you want to be, you want to be famous. You know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't welcome fame upon anybody because it's a hell of a price to pay to be famous. Cause you know, you have people, you and, and you don't have, you have a target on your back. Yeah. Uh, 
and people are going to be always having something to say and looking for you to fall. And so if, if you do and you're not strong enough to get back up, then you'll, you'll, you'll find yourself, you know, staying there and can't get back up. So I was able to get up and, and get going and, and get going with the, with the word of God, which, which is my life, which I love. I love that book more than any book. And that book will be here forever. Mm -hmm. No matter, no matter what, when I'm gone and you're gone and, Somebody else come through, and they're out of here. That book still will be here. Mm. Everybody, everybody can write a book. We all write books and stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that one book, the book of the Bible, will always be here. It will be here to help equip you and change you and resurrect you forever. And that is powerful. That is so powerful. What led you from the relationship with Christ to beginning your own ministry because you know i mean i know from personal experience whenever you put yourself out there in that aspect more people are wanting to see you fail than ever before <laughs> yeah yeah they really do you know when you because but but i think the most important thing is, is is sam is is make sure that you equip and you got a foundation i think that was the most important thing with me is having a beautiful wife and a foundation and staying in your own lane. Don't try to be like anybody else. God didn't call you to be somebody else. I think we're all unique in our own ways. And if we stay the way way we are and not try to change who we are, uh, then you have become everything that God created you to be. And you know, going into ministry is is very difficult because a lot of, you get a lot of pushbacks from a lot of people when they start to see you being exalted by God. But the thing I learned. My learning part of that is is to stay humble. You know, don't don't get the big ego about ministry or anything else because ministry is just like being a, a baseball player, basketball player. You could be great for a period of time, and then one day it's over. And, you know, then what are you gonna do? You know, and so uh, humble yourself to God, and you know He's got a plan, and He's got a plan to put you in a position to do what he needs you to do, not mm -hmm. looking at somebody else. I need you to touch these people over here. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we all have to remember. And that's what brought, that's what brought me to ministry is, is the humble spirit and loving others and never making it about myself. Wow. Wow. Now, when, when did you decide to start this ministry with your wife? Like, was it, was it something that had, uh, you know, yes, had months of conversations about? Was it something that God kind of just placed in your mind one one day, and you're like, right. okay, here's what he's here's what he's telling me. Is he telling you the same thing? You know, like what what, what created this ministry? Well, it's just a, it's a, over a period of time. It's about being patient, and it's it's about going through the hard times. So you're going to go through the hard times of creating a ministry for yourself because. You know, like I said before, it's going to be a lot of pushback from a lot of other people and saying you're not qualified. But you know what? None of us qualify. At the end of the day, you know, God has made clear that none of us is qualified. And when you can stay in that place and know that you're not qualified, then God can use you. But when you put yourself in a place and say you're qualified, then you're, you're, you're talking from a standpoint of man approval. Let God qualify you. And I think that's what happened with me and Tracy. You know, it wasn't no overnight miracle. It was a process and we just kept moving forward. We kept not looking back and we kept not worrying about what anybody else had to say. And we just kept doing kingdom work. You know, kingdom kingdom work, Sam, is serving others. 
Yes, That's sir. kingdom work. It's not about, so, so many people think kingdom work is about standing in the pulpit preaching and sounding good you know no that's not that's 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 a call that god calls you to do but kingdom work is when you get out of yourself and you can go serve others and you can go love others and you have no agenda then that's what the work of the ministry is all about and that's what me and tracy learned the work of the ministry is about loving people and caring for others and that's that's so powerful and it's so true you know that's that's something that um you know, my mom and my dad have always told me, you know, they're, they're always like, you know, if you live the life for you, you'll live a lonely life. But if you live a life to serve others and serve God, you will live a fulfilled and happy life, no matter what else happens. And they also always, you know, would tell me this life is temporary. The life that we have today is temporary and i feel like that's lost on so many people today so many people just live for today instead of live for god you know if you live for god then you will live for his life not for yours yes yes and that's the, yes and that's that's the key to becoming a strong christian is, is living for god and not living for this life and when you live for him he he's everything to you every day you get up, not some days. I don't care if you don't feel well, he's still God to me. And he's still, he's still gonna work things out. I don't care if you, know, you don't have, he's still gonna work things out. That's the belief that we have inside of ourselves, and we've created that and we'll never change that because we know that he's God. So that's when you know that you're living right, when you're living for his will and it's no longer your will. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Now you actually wrote a book in 2017, I think. Maybe well, you probably wrote it before, but released it in 2017, called "Don't Give Up on Me." Tell me, tell me a little bit about you know what what was the purpose of this book? You know, because as as a as a recent author, you know, the one purpose that I felt like for this book was to show people that you're never too far gone from God's grace. And that you can always discover your purpose if you look to him first. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, don't give up on me. It was shedding light on addiction. And I came from addiction. And so many people um, have addiction problems. And they're so ashamed, you know, that they be able to talk about it. And, and the problem is you'll never get well if you, if you stay in the shame. You know, getting well, getting well is talking about your struggles. And I think so many people worry about what others thinking and when they point one finger at you three fingers are pointing right back at them so they got problems too themselves and once you understand that uh, you realize it's okay i mean I, the reason why i wanted to write a book like that was to be able to show people my wounds i mean you, you got to be able to show people your wounds and your scars for them to be able to get well and get healed so you can't you can't go to them and say well i i hope you can get better and i want you to get better but i never had that problem before well you're really not the right person to help that kind of person right. you know i mean it's, it's just the way it is everybody's not here to help people certain people through certain things there are some people who have been through things like they have and being able to show them it's okay to be broken it's okay to be lost it's okay to go through addiction you can get healed the healing part is so important see that's why our society and i was writing that book because our society had came to an epidemic you know, mm -hmm. where opiates and heroin had taken over and they were killing kids like crazy and they still mm -hmm. are to this day. Mm -hmm. And and the reason I wanted to write a book like that is so, so kids can know you don't have to 
be consumed to the opiates and the heroin. That's not who you are. That's just a yeah. part of what has happened to you. That's a part of your pain. If I could help them get delivered from that part of their pain, then they could walk into their destiny. Absolutely. You know, I, I've actually had a family member who has been affected by um, addiction and with, with, with opiates and everything. And, and I'm definitely going to recommend your book to him. I'm going to recommend that he watches this because, you know, too often, you know, with that addiction, he has lost sight of how much his family loves him. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like that comes with the territory because, you know, I, I feel like the addiction is a tool of the devil. You know, it's a, it's a tool to blind people from the good that's happening around them, the family that loves them, the, the faith that um, the family is trying to, you know, show to that, to, to that person. And so I am absolutely going to pass that on. I'm guessing it's available on Amazon. Where else can you find this book? Is it on your website? Uh, yeah, it should be on our website. I don't know if it's back on there, but I know it's, it's, it's on. It should be online on Amazon somewhere. But um, yeah, it's a good. It's a great book. Um, you know, it's. Um, I may even have one here. I could just send it to you if you send me an address, so that you don't have to worry about it. Absolutely. If I, if I do have one around here. I can get one, but I'll, I'll make sure I reach out to some people to, uh, to get me one of those books, so because it, it it will help him and will help him understand that you're not alone. You're not the only one. Yes that's been through this. There's a lot of people that's going through this and all mm -hmm. you got to do is, you know, hear somebody else's story and hopefully it can help them to show them that they could be an overcomer too. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we'll definitely, um, we'll definitely do that. I'll send, I'll send you, I'm actually going to send you a little thank you package anyway. So I'm going to get your address and everything. So, um, but no, I, I really appreciate that. Let's talk about athletes today. If you were to talk to an athlete right now who's considering that relationship with Christ, what would you tell them? I would tell them that's it's the, it's the greatest commitment they will ever make, even better than the commitment they make playing ball. Um, because we have to make a commitment when we play ball uh, to be the best. And, and if they can ever make this commitment here, this is everlasting. Because I, I would tell them baseball, football, and basketball – hockey, whatever it may be, soccer, it's going to be over one day. Done. You're going to be done with it. This here, this walk with Christ, everlasting. You're never going to stop. All you're going to do is keep growing. You're not going to grow anymore. You can only grow for so long playing sports. You're going to get old. Everything is going to start to hurt. It's not going to feel the same anymore. But in this, this relationship with Christ, and when you meet him, it's going to be ongoing relationship, the ongoing revelation, the ongoing growing and becoming more and more what God wants you to be until the end of your life, until you're no longer here. That's <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. The Bible calls us to be a servant. That's, that's the one, you know, that's, if there was one word that's supposed to describe a Christian, it's servant. What does that word servant mean to you? Well, that, that means to me, it's like you, you get out of yourself and, and you go and you serve others. You know, that's, that's the meaning I get from that as a servant, you know, because a servant, a servant to me is about serving others. It's never about your own needs and trying to meet your own needs. Because if you understand that with Jesus, he's going to take care of you. But you have to believe that and you have to have faith. So now I become a servant of him 
to go tell other people about how good he is for you. And that helps others to come to know him and it helps others to come to a place of getting saved. You know, if we don't, if we don't explain the good news to them and how good it really is, people can never get saved. They need to know that he loves them right where you're at. I mean, all your broken pieces and he can put them back together. He's the only one that's going to put them back together. If you allow him to be Lord of your life and allow him to equip you, he will put you back together. And when he puts you back together, it will be better than you ever was before. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, what I love about the Bible is there's so many Bible verses that can be translated translated in many different ways. And one of those Bible verses that I love that has been overused, but it's so powerful because there's so many different meanings behind it that all point back to God and his strength in Jesus. And that's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How does Daryl Strawberry translate Philippians 4.13? Uh, well, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. That's, that is such such a good um, scripture there because you have to be, you have to challenge yourself. And, you know, to know that whatever I'm going through, he's going to give me the strength to go through it. I don't care if it's hard or not, you know, but if I, if I believe what that scripture says, I can do all things. That means that I know that he's going to strengthen me even in the midst of the storm. Right. You know, <laughs> because the storm is coming. I always tell people, Sam, either you're in a storm or a storm is on the way or you're just coming out of a storm. Yeah. So what, what happens in the storm? The, st the storm is, you, you're in the storm so you can become stronger. So you can be strengthened in the storm because because if, if you don't if you don't allow the storm to strengthen you then you can't come out better. Right. You see, and that's what happens to so many people. And, and right now we're sitting all been sitting in the storm of life. And the greatest gift that I've gotten through the storm is being in the Word of God and being closer to God and laying with oh, God. Because when I come out of this storm, I'm going to be so much stronger than I was before the storm hit absolutely you know and, and then that's what that's what that's what i could do all things i could be uh, that just right tell tell you you know you can do all things through the fact absolutely. you know you can do all things through the fact of going through what you're going through all not some things you know you can do all things through christ who strengthened me you know he's he's strengthening us in the midst of the difficult times because it's easy when we it's easy when we ride high right you know it's easy when things are good but what about when things get hard yeah that's when that's when scriptures come into play you know and that's the power in scriptures and the, the understanding of scriptures come into play if people don't understand them they can never get the revelation of it absolutely you know with you with, with athletes you know one thing that we have to do is we have to work out right we have to continuously come to the gym but our first trip to the gym sees no results our second trip to the gym sees no results and i feel like it's the same thing with our faith we have to keep coming back day after day after day if we want to get stronger because whenever we take a day off we lose our we lose what we've gained right and it's and i i really feel like not only is that how we're supposed to work out but we also have to look at jesus as the ultimate spotter 
you know, all that weight, if we hold it too long, it's going to crush us. Right. He wants us to give it to him as soon as it gets heavy. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and, and that's, that's the key right there. You know, when life gets heavy, too heavy for you, you, you give him, you know, because what most people, like I said, don't understand, and even Christians don't understand, your burdens, he's already, he's already got them exactly. on the cross. He's everything that could kill us, Jesus already killed it. Amen. Amen. Daryl, where can more people find information about you, your ministry? Where can they go? You know, how, how can they connect with you? I know you're, you know, you, you go and speak at different churches. Do you have a schedule somewhere? Well, I don't have a schedule up, but I don't, I don't really put my schedule up, but um, they can always find me on our, our ministry page, um, findingyourway.com. That's our ministry page, you know, me and my wife. And uh, that's, that's where all our information is. And, you know, they can find, you know, like keep up with me on, uh, Instagram, Daryl Strawberry 18. Uh, I do a lot there and also on Facebook, you know, I do a lot there to you know, try to um, send out positive information to encourage people, you know, through these difficult times you know, that God is still God and uh, he, he loves us no matter what. And you need to understand that and you need to trust him and, and, try, and try to encourage people to, you know, come to a place of trust in him. We, we trust in everything else, but we won't trust in him. If you never trusted him, you need to try to take some time off to trust him and see what kind of work that he does because he is the miracle maker behind the scenes. Amen. Amen. Well, Daryl, thank you so much for joining me on The Greater Game. And TCT viewers, you can find more on Daryl's story at tct.tv and my website, samcoonert.com. We'll have the full-length version out there. Check it out. This is one of the most mind-blowing um, stories I've ever heard and to hear how he has come from redemption to righteousness is something you cannot miss. Share with your athletes, share with your family, share with your coaches, your community, share with everybody. This is a story that can every single person can relate to. Daryl, thank you so much for joining me. We'll definitely be connecting as soon as we get off here, but man, I just appreciate you. I thank you. I admire you. I'm going to be reading the book myself just to check it out, but this has been an absolute awesome experience. Well, thanks so much, Sam. I appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate you too, brother. And thanks for reaching out to me and, and wanting to do this. It, 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 it means a great deal to me and, and God bless you, man. Continue to do God's great work. Yes, sir. You too. God bless you, Daryl. All right. Bless you, brother.